Remember that episode when we all thought the Edmonton Oilers were dead, like, I don't know, two months ago? Well, uh, they're alive and they're in a playoff spot. And maybe they'll win the Western Conference because they've won 13 straight games uh, and they've been just rolling since the coaching change. How much does Chris Knobloch have to do with this? How much of this is just the Edmonton Oilers finally waking up? And how good can they be this season? Episode 396 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. The Edmonton Oilers, I hope their fans can look back on this and just remember how special this is because when you're dead to rights with basically, I don't know, like three and a half, four and a half months to go. And all of a sudden you go on a 13 game winning streak Mm -hmm. and you're all of a sudden back in the playoff picture and even a top three spot in your division. It shouldn't be that easy to get out of the early season funk that they were in two ten and one or something like that, Brett. But they've somehow done it, and they yeah. somehow look stronger. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I feel like I, I haven't like looked back at what we were talking about back when because uh, we definitely had a few discussions episodes devoted to the Oilers. Uh, they're a fascinating team, of course. Um, but I I think I remember when I like when when they first made this hire, it was just the thought process of like, well. This team does have the best player in the world. It also has arguably the second best player in the world on its team. So you can never count them out of the playoffs, especially when he, um, Woodcroft was fired in like the middle of November. So that was like two months in. So it's like, yeah, you could kind of see this coming in a way because it's like, oh, right, they have McDavid. Of course they're going to do this, you know? Um, so from that perspective, it's not surprising, but at the same time, this, yeah, the Oilers have had a 13 game winning streak. Um, I believe I saw here that I think this is like the most ever, which is impressive or in franchise for history. a Canadian franchise. It's the most all time. Correct. Which is crazy because one, this is counting all those Montreal original six day teams, mm-hmm. Toronto original six teams, and the Edmonton Oilers when they had Gretzky and Messier. <laughs> you know what's the funniest is yeah. that in the top ten, yeah. low key the two thousand nine ten Ottawa Senators who won eleven in a row. Somehow. Oh wow! Oh, was yeah. that the was that the pizza line days? No, no, no. That was long after Heatley left. Uh, this was when Ottawa had a goalie tandem of Brian Elliott and Pascal LeClaire. Oh, I don't even remember that. <laughs> that was probably yeah. like early days of Eric Carlson. Wait, what year did if, you say? If my memory serves correct. What year did you say? 2009-10. This oh, okay. was around the time where Ottawa yeah, yeah. Uh, had okay. a couple of meh seasons and they yeah. were kind of on the downswing. And then with coach Corey Clouston at the helm they yeah, just yeah. low-key bounced back in 2009-10 yeah I um yeah I was a senior in high school I was I think I was obviously a Bruins fan but I wasn't like an NHL fan so maybe that's why I do have vague recollections of Brian Elliott 
uh, being the starter there. But anyways, uh, <laughs> we go back to the Oilers. Of course, we uh, tie in the Senators and the Bruins into this topic when they don't necessarily need to. Uh, but um, in any case, um, yeah, what, what, uh, uh, in terms of like uh, just going through the statistics here, Steve was wondrous enough to actually write this all down for me. So, uh, thank you, Steve, for doing this. Um, so yes, they, uh, they had a 13 game winning streak after Saturday's three to one decision. Um, it's the longest win streak in NHL history by a Canadian team. As we just mentioned, that's, that's pretty crazy. Um, they had a, they had like a few, like three games losing streaks, but they also had like an eight game winning streak before that. Then they had a three game losing streak. Then they had a three game winning streak. Um, I'm going like in like reverse chronological order there. Um, so, so yeah, they, um, they did have an eight game winning streak under Chuck Knobloch. Um, and when I say Chuck Knobloch, I mean, Chris Knobloch, um, that that's just your nickname for him. His yeah. his nickname's Chuck. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> imagine uh, the Chuck Knobloch that I actually know who I'm thinking of is the former Yankee. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's Steve funny. Dangle always uh, I think sometimes gets Chris Knobloch confused with Chuck Knobloch. Also, that's Chris Knobloch looks a lot like Dave Dave Haxtell, oh, the goats for the Kraken. Yeah, it's. It's alarming how similar they look when you look at a side by side. So, so I I do have an excuse because I'm a Red Sox fan in the, during that time period when Chuck Knobloch was, um, uh, like, one of the Yankees players during that time. Steve Dingle has no excuse. I don't think he was a baseball fan right back then. It's like I know he was like a well known Yankee, but I I feel like he doesn't have the excuse. But in any case. I'll talk that up when uh, if I ever meet Steve Dangle in person. But yeah. <laughs> in any case, uh, yeah. So the Edmonton Oilers are twenty three and six since November thirteen when Chris Knobloch has taken over. Um, they were out of a playoff spot, but they are now third in the Pacific Division. I wouldn't be surprised if they take it over. I mean, we're about to talk. Uh, you know, take over. Um, at least maybe they're not going to c- catch the Vancouver Canucks, but they might surpass the Vegas Golden Knights, especially yeah. when Jack Eichel has been injured, and we're we're going to talk about that in the rapid fire. They also have other injuries too, besides yeah. Jack Eichel. But yeah, Jack sure. Eichel is a big one. Yeah. It's the big one, yeah. Um, but um, but yeah, so so I wouldn't be surprised if they go even second in the Pacific. But um, yeah. in, any, in any case. Third most goals scored and third fewest goals against since the coaching change. Uh, top five power play percentage and second best PK percentage under Chuck Knobloch. Um, they've also been out shooting their opponents by an average of 34.4 um, to uh, 20. That's the second best and uh, to 27.7, which was the fourth lowest. Um, that's what Chuck Knobloch is coach. So yeah. that's even before the 13 game one streak, just so everyone's clear. Yeah. Um, so Steve did provide the amount of points that all these players had since Knobloch has taken over, which is impressive in its own right. But I did want to point out the point totals of what, um, instead of the 13 game winning streak, um, or the, the point totals from them, um, instead, but, uh, obviously both are 
impressive, and you'll see mm-hmm. in a minute why. Um, McDavid's numbers are probably stupid, like yeah. always. Well, here's the thing, and I'll get to that in a second once I go over all the stuff, but um, I'll get to that in a second. Um, so McDavid um, does lead the way um, with 18 points in these 13 games. Um, then Dreisaitl with 16 points. Hyman has 15 points. Warren Fogel has 13 points as well. Um, oh, sorry. Uh, Hyman has 15 points. I forget if I, I feel like I just got confused here. So Hyman has 15 points third on the team. Uh, Fogel has 13 points. Uh, he had like a two-goal game the other day too, so uh, pretty recently. So he's recently just caught on. Ryan McLeod, believe it or not, um, has a twelve has twelve points in twelve games. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has eleven points in thirteen games. Evan Bouchard has ten points in the thirteen games. Matthias Ekholm has seven points. Then you have uh, Darnell Nurse with six. Um, Cody Cece with five. Evander Kane surprisingly with five points during these this stretch. Um, I could go down the list. Um, I do want to mention that. Dylan Holloway just became healthy, and he had one assist in one game uh, during this stretch. Um, and then, of course, we'll talk about Stuart Skinner, um, who, uh, let me just pull this up quickly. Um, so Stuart Skinner um, has gone, uh, he's 10-0, obviously, uh, during this stretch. Um, with a 1.49 GAA and a save percentage of a 9.47. Even someone like Calvin Picard um, has gone, he's 3.0-0 uh, with a 2.32 GAA and a save percentage of 9.04. Um, so going back to this, it, yeah, and, and uh, so Steve did mention uh, McDavid, when Knobloch has taken over, McDavid had 49 points in 29 games. Uh, very awesome. And we alluded to that uh, back when we were talking about like the midseason awards where it's like, okay, well, if the Oilers are making the playoffs, it's McDavid is back in it. Um, and um, also uh, Skinner has 19 wins uh, with a 2.15 GAA and a save percentage of 9.22. So all very impressive. Um, the reason why I, I kind of wanted to allude to this is that recently McDavid was held pointless in his game against Calgary. Um, so was Dreisaitl. And I think that's actually, um, and he's had an assist um, in every game, the last like three games um, before that Calgary game. And I think that's the thing that's been most impressive with the Oilers, it's, you know, obviously I think we all knew that McDavid was injured at the beginning of the year, um, and they just couldn't get going, and um, it was just that Woodcroft kind of just was a casualty, because that's just what you do. You just fire your coach in hopes that it's going to bring a spark to your team. But in reality, I think it was had more to do with the fact that McDavid was not 100% when, when it happened, um, and then he's now more healthy. The fact that you, I mean, maybe you could credit um, uh, uh, Knobloch for Stuart Skinner um, as well, but I'm more impressed by the fact that, like, Warren Fogel has uh, caught on. You get uh, production from Ryan McLeod, um, and it's like, 
because we were talking about this last year or back when the Oilers were struggling, that the biggest weakness other than the goaltending for the Oilers was the fact that they relied too much on McDavid. They relied too much on Dreisaitl. Um, and obviously, you know, those are the two best players in the league. So you should do that. But you weren't getting a t- like you're not going to go far in the playoffs if you don't have the depth scoring, um, and when when you do bring out like Warren Fogle, when you bring out guys like Ryan McLeod, um, like Evan Bouchard, I don't know if I would consider him a depth scoring, but even that he's he's caught on. Darnell Nurse, it's like. It's like, oh, all of a sudden they have they don't necessarily need to rely on McDavid or Drysaddle or those top two lines to get something going. It's that, the fact that like, oh, they do have someone in Ryan McLeod maybe. Oh, they do have someone in Warren Fogle maybe. Um, we'll see. And it's like maybe that was why they were struggling before was just because it's like when McDavid was not a hundred percent and Drysaddle's not working for whatever reason. It's like oh, like, who else is going to step up? And it's not Ryan Nugent Hopkins. It's not Evander Kane. I mean, Zach Hyman, to his credit, he's been impressive as well. But it's like, you know, guys like McLeod. It's guys like Warren Fogle. Uh, The other thing that has been impressive, and I'll take it to you once we do that um, after I say this, but, like, when I, I, I watched the Toronto game, I watched the Seattle game, which were their last two games, um, or before the Calgary game, they were in both games. It was pretty very very similar. They were down two by two goals, and then slowly but surely they come back, and that's kind of what you want to see out of a team is that when they're down, it's not like you know they don't give up, and they just slowly start putting pieces together and start to work back into it, especially teams like Toronto and Seattle, who are very good teams, or uh, Seattle, even though they don't have Beneers, they don't have Vince Dunn um, now due to injuries, but, like, you know, Joey Decord, we've talked about it, has been, like, the slow, like, actually might be a pretty good goaltender right now. So Colorado's also had a lot of comeback yeah. wins too. Colorado, yeah, I mean, like you could say this about pretty much any good team in the NHL. Vancouver as yeah. well, yeah. Um so it's like that's more impressive to me is the fact that like one as I was just alluding to, it's like they're getting product it's not just McDavid and it's not just uh, dry cycle. It's not even just Nugent Hopkins and uh, Zach Hyman. It's other guys too that's been um, that's been helping them out on the score sheet too. So that's been impressive to me. Of course, like Stuart Skinner going back to his regular self or what we expected him to be doesn't hurt. But it's just like oh, like they're you know the Oilers are uh, doing well, and this is kind of like I wouldn't say that this the fact that they're now in a playoff spot by the middle of January, what, like, is surprising because they had a lot of ground to cover. But at the same time, it's like, oh, right, McDavid is on their team. Uh, Dry titles on their team. You know, it's like Stuart Skinner. We know what he was last year. It's just, it's like, oh, okay, this is, like, back to what the Oilers used to be. Um, so, so I'm, I'm imp- obviously, I'm, like, impressed by, by this team, but it's, like, it's more like not just McDavid and Dreisaitl who have carried this team um, during this streak. 
Yeah, the fact that they're actually getting saves now is in POTUS. That's true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, yeah, as you'll allude to, I'm sure. Uh, just taking a look at Edmonton's face-off numbers since uh, Chris Knobloch took over, um, and most of these are 28-29 game stat ranges. Um, but there are a handful of people that have been killing it in the face-off dot, the usual suspects, but also uh, the unsung heroes of this team. So I'll start with Leon Dreisaitl, a guy that everyone knows. Uh, in 29 games since Knobloch took over behind the bench, he's taken 535 face-offs. Uh, face-off win percentage in all situations, 57.8% for Mr. Dreisaitl. In the defensive zone, 56%. Um, as a guy that loves good two-way hockey and 200-foot game, uh, 56% in the defensive zone is pretty good. I would say very good. And you would probably see numbers like that from Patrice Bergeron during an average campaign. So the fact that Leon Dreisaitl during this streak is winning face-offs, but also yep. winning face-offs when you're kind of trapped in your own zone and you need a big win, that's huge. Uh, Mr. Connor McDavid, another guy everyone knows, 372 face-offs in 29 games with Chris Knobloch at the helm. He's won 53% of them in all situations, 54% in the defensive zone. Uh, Ryan McLeod is up next with 220 face-offs in 28 games. He has won 53.6% of them in all situations. Defensively, 57.1% uh, of uh, face-offs won in his own zone. Um Derek Ryan with 163 faceoffs in 29 games. And he is 54.6% in all situations, 51.5% in his own zone. And also this guy named James Hamblin, who has somehow played 28 games in a stretch. Uh, haven't heard from him, really. Um, 149 faceoffs, all of them in even strength, oddly enough. Not on the power play, none shorthanded. Uh, 51.7% though, uh, he has won and 50.9 uh, of them in his own zone as well. And then we get to Ryan Nugent Hopkins has 105 draws in 29 games. Um, his numbers are less than impressive, below 40% in the defensive zone, uh, exactly 40% in all situations. But again, you're getting face-off wins from guys that aren't named Ryan Nugent Hopkins who you know, when he was drafted, was probably projected to be one of those guys that could be, you know, at best a first-line center, at worst a second- or third-line center. And you're getting guys like Ryan McLeod pitching in and Derek Ryan pitching in and freaking James Hamblin pitching in. Uh, guys that are just doing their part to help this team win, and it's working. It's, it's doing wonders for them. And like you said, the depth scoring, we talked about Evan Bouchard – Evan Bouchard, is his numbers are a sight for sore eyes because out of the gate, he was struggling. He was part of the reason why the Oilers kind of started off slow uh, at the beginning of the year is because he wasn't at full strength. Obviously, everyone's going to talk about Drysdale and McDavid just hovering around a point-per-game pace, and we make that sound like it's a bad thing. That's, that's a good thing if you're a star player. But you're expecting more from those two guys. You're expecting the extraordinary to happen. And they're getting some extraordinary play from McDavid and Drysdale right now. It obviously starts with them. But again, like you said, the depth 
the penalty kill, the power play, um, the penalty kill, everything is just clicking for Edmonton. And like you said, they're not out of any game. I feel like they're playing better responsible defensive hockey as well. Um, whether or not they can go on a deep playoff run, we'll discuss later. But um, I definitely thought they were dead in the water when they started off 2-10-1. And uh, after they lost that game to the San Jose Sharks, it looked like there was no chance in hell of this team bouncing back. And even through those uh, many three-game slides when Knobloch took over, both times they lost to Tampa, both times they lost to Florida. And then... Uh, they lost to Carolina in one of them, and I forget there's another good team that they lost to in the middle of the of the second three-game slide. But all of that just made me question, yeah, they're kind of around 500 hockey still, but I still don't know how much I can trust them to, to do much of anything in the regular season. And uh, this winning streak has, has kind of opened my mind to, okay, um, all you need is two generational players and you might have a chance. <laughs> to get yourself out of this position, but they're making it look so easy when it's really, really not like what they've done is, is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it, I, again, I have to like recall what we said back in the um, episode day, but it's like, I, I feel like I, if I remember correctly, it's like, I knew that they were losing, but I also knew that they had McDavid and I knew that they had dry side all. It's also, it's just like, they were like one month in, like, yeah, they, they weren't good. But I also knew that it's like, you know, it's like they could definitely overcome it. So um, I feel like I don't want to like do like hindsight um, bias or anything like that, but I feel like I'm doing hindsight bias. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think we shouldn't have been like, or if, if this happens again, where like a team goes down very early on in the month, like we should just take this as a lesson. It's like, oh right, it's not over. Just simply for the fact that they have a good team, you know. Um, I think we should take it as a stranger things have happened kind of thing, but I don't right. think we should also expect this to happen because True. but like you, you don't like if it was so easy, the Ottawa Senators would be in a playoff spot by now, and uh, they're only just starting to kind of figure it out i i guess what i'm thinking is is like like because i remember like in 2019 for instance when the blues were the worst team in the league by the middle of the year and then all of a sudden they get jordan bennington they fire their coach and then all of a sudden they start going on this like huge you know mm, they get into that's the playoff true attention. and i feel like this isn't that because one it's like the oilers were the worst team in the league uh, a month in and that you can come back from this if this was the sharks then yeah i could i wouldn't have expected this but because this is the oilers who have Connor mcdavid who have dry settle we know what they were capable of from what they were able to do last year it's like okay like i can i see a path of this working out um but so it's it's not like this came out of nowhere um, for sure, it's like yeah, they dug their hole. They dug their hole, but it's not super surprising that they dug themselves out of it. Um, By the way, I just wanted to put out this stat you mentioned about yeah. comeback wins. 
uh, since Chris Knobloch took over as coach. Six and three when trailing after one, six and four when trailing yeah. after two. And yeah. they're 12 and two when leading after one and, tra- and leading after two. Wow. Um, so a first question here, we ha- we kind of already answered of does this winning streak change your opinion of this team? If so, to what degree? I would agree that I think just the added emphasis of depth scoring, I think that's going to help them in the playoffs. Um, and of course, the, the added goaltending is um, is great too. So I think I think that's um, that has changed my opinion of this team. Even like if they had were good wire to wire or like you know good at the start of the season. Um, the next question here we have is, is this all coaching or are the players finally waking up? I think it's a mixture of both. Um, yeah. I think, like, it was pretty clear that, like, because McDavid missed a couple of games or a few weeks um, and they were even terrible and all that stuff and it seemed like they rushed him in um, and now it looks like McDavid is back to normal and maybe Knobloch, because he knew them, uh, knew him from his Erie Otter days. Maybe there is something to that that it's like, oh, all right, I'm Connor McDavid. Of course, I'm going to do this, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like you have to give Knobloch some credit for um, lighting Stuart Skinner back up or to bringing whatever is going on with Ryan McLeod and Warren Fogle. Um, so I, I do give them both somewhat credit for that as well. Is that. Do you feel the same way? I think um, I think it's a mixture of both. Yes, yeah. I mean they're eight and zero in one goal games. Yeah. If you look at the status of the Edmonton Oilers when they made the coaching change, do you really think the Oilers, in the state of mind that they were in, were gonna just turn the corner like that? In my opinion, a change in tone was inevitable, yeah. and it had to be done. Um, and you know, you get a guy with, you know, a similar ish vision, but a a different approach in different areas. And they're, they're getting guys to buy in right now. Like Evander Kane has kind of had an off year, but since uh, Chris Knobloch has taken over 16 points in 28 games, 11 goals, you're trying to get some production out of the guys that are normally struggling. That's not Evander Kane level success like he had in his early stages with Edmonton. But, you know, you're still getting 11 goals out of Evander Kane, you know, probably during his worst stretch of hockey in recent memory. That's not a bad thing at all. And you mentioned the depth guys like Roran Fogle. When they got him from Carolina, and I believe they traded Ethan Dare to get him, I thought Warren Fogle is one of those players that could really solidify that depth scoring for Edmonton. For whatever reason, it never really materialized, and he was being mocked as one of those, uh, you know, bottom six players that, uh, you know, the Oilers are trying to get him to be something that he's not. And now he's finally showing up to be the guy that uh, I thought he was all along as well. So... Yeah, um, I I think it's part buy-in, but also, you know, the Oilers had it all along. Um, I know uh, Evander Kane, as you wrote down here, has uh, 16 points in these 28 games, but in this during this 13-game winning streak, he only has five points. So <laughs> maybe there is something going on, but it was like uh, he has five points in 12 games. So maybe he's injured or dealing with something, but we'll see. Um, that yeah. also, oh, awesome. I forgot to mention, there were some 
reports uh, earlier this morning is not on cap friendly or anything, but it might happen sometime this week, but it looks like they might sign Corey Perry, which is a pretty similar <laughs> move that they made last year with Evander Kane. So um, we'll see. It's not official yet, so I, I do want to go with that. However, I do know that I wonder if Ken Holland's logic yeah. throughout all of that was, oh, he made it to the Cup Finals yeah. recently. Oh, he's made it to multiple. Yeah. We love that. Right, right. <laughs> well, and the fact that they play the Blackhawks sometime this week, too, it's like it's very possible that uh, his first game back will be against Chicago. But it's also... I mean, it's, just, it's only... Fit. It is kind of funny, though, from Corey Perry. It's like, it sounds like, oh, he, he went to rehab. He went to this assistive program. We, we don't know exactly what was said during this team corporate meeting, but it is kind of funny that he goes from the worst team in the league to now the best team in the league. Um, and Vayner came when he went to Edmonton, yeah. had a lot of baggage, yeah. too, That's and true. then he yeah. started to turn things around again. Yeah, yeah. And we all know that Corey Perry yeah. still has it offensively, too. Like, yeah. he can bring a lot to this team. Yeah, the only thing is is that, yes, it did work out for Vander Kane. However, I feel like if you have more of those types of guys where just, they, you know, like, I, I feel like that may be a bad locker room vibe because it could go yeah no that's 100 percent a risk you're right you you know it's like now it's like yeah maybe it does work out and i'm i'd be happy to be proven wrong by that but if you have like a vander kane and Corey perry in the same locker room i feel like it's like okay this this could turn out to not be great (laughs) and um you know so so we'll, I'll, I'll be, I'm skeptical of it, but I could see it working out at the same time. Um, at the same time, though, you just know that bottom six from yeah. Edmonton, no one is going to want to play them yeah. because they're just going to be causing havoc all day. Yep. And that's going to open more space for the Stars because everyone's yep. focused on fending off those annoying little bugs that are crawling around. Right, right, right. Um, uh, their next question here, which player has really surprised you during this winning streak? I mean, I think we kind of alluded to it, um, and you had mentioned this as well. I think Warren Fogel has been impressive yep. to me. I know that, like, during um, last year, like, he, he would go on these, like, scoring streaks uh, when he was in Carolina, um, but never actually was consistent enough to be a guy guy. Um, so that could still happen here in Edmonton. It's like, you know, that's the thing with depth scoring is sometimes they're not consistent. So it's like, it's very possible that Warren Fogel will just go back to being what he was, but it is, it has been surprising that he's uh, been doing so well. And like, even while I was doing research for this episode, I was like, oh, I didn't realize Ryan McLeod had like, was doing well as well. Um, considering the fact that he's on the third line <laughs> and, um, and all that stuff. So it's like, oh, like, I remember that name, Ryan McLeod. It's like, oh, okay. Um, maybe it's a similar thing to Warren Fogel where I, I don't know how sustainable this will be. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it's pretty surprising. And it has been a part of why the Edmonton Oilers have sustained this winning streak is just the depth scoring that they've gotten out of Fogel and McLeod. When you look at Warren Fogel's numbers, fourteen twenty two time on ice per game, which is um, two minutes and 33 seconds less than Evander Kane's average ice time. He has two more points than Evander Kane. 
And granted, he doesn't have the goal tools that Vander Kane has. Warren has six in 29 games with mm-hmm. Chris Knobloch as coach, and Vander Kane has 11 in 28. But also keep in mind that Warren Fogle isn't really getting much power play time. Uh, he has zero power play points. So all of that, except one shorthanded assist, is at even strength. Yeah. And that's, I think, the main thing that the Oilers need is depth scoring when they're not on the power play. Right. Because we all know their power play's goaded. Like, you probably yeah. got Hyman out there. You have Dreisaitl. You have McDavid. You have Nugent Hopkins. So, um, you're, you're laughing. You got Evan Bouchard probably playing the point. Or worst-case scenario, we have Dal- Darnell Nurse out there. Like, what a luxury that is. Right. And then you got guys like Warren Fogel that can just pick it up offensively at even strength. Like, like that's the ticket right there. Um, Ryan McLeod, another example, he has nine goals and 17 points with Knobloch as coach, nine goals and 16 points at even strength, and that lone point, shorthanded, similar to Warren Fogle, a shorthanded assist. And he also has three game winners. Uh, three of his nine goals have won the game for Edmonton, too. Yeah. Um, and his, his shooting percentage is also 20%. Don't know how sustainable that is for McLeod, but... Uh, similar ice time to Fogel, just uh, 10 seconds less than Fogel per game, 14-12 uh, in those 28 games for uh, Mr. McLeod. So, yep. uh, also, Matthias Ekholm, I just wanted to point out, one of, like, everyone was talking about how Edmonton can't get saves, but also I think a lot of heat was on Matthias Ekholm because, like, he was brought in as this defensive piece of the trade deadline. It's like, oh, the defense is going to be better now. Wait, why isn't that defense better? Oh, Matthias Ekholm struggling. Uh, 14 points in 29 games since the coaching change. Um, he's also done a little bit of everything. He has a power play goal. He has a shorthanded goal. And he has a game-winning goal um, out of his three goals with Knobloch uh, behind the bench. Uh, but uh, above all, he's a plus 16 while getting those 14 points and averaging just over 21 minutes a night. Like, that's what you need from a guy like Matias Ekholm. And the fact that he's back uh, in close to full form, I think is great for the Oilers heading into the trade deadline because his emergence maybe means they don't have to be as focused on getting help at the blue line and they can focus on other areas to improve this hockey club. And make no mistake about it, they still have areas where they can improve upon. Yeah, yeah. Um, our next question here is, after this recent surge, how good will the Oilers be this season? I mean, I think we can kind of, like, expect what they were, what we were thinking at the start of the season. Like, yeah, they'll probably, they're definitely now contenders um, because they started to figure things out. Um, I will say that I'm just looking at their schedule. They have Columbus on Tuesday, Chicago on Thursday, um, Saturday um, in Nashville, uh, then the all-star break. Um, so they should, those are teams that they could easily beat, especially Columbus and Chicago. Um, yeah. Then there's the all-star break. Um, then they play Vegas, which I think would be when, like, you could realistically say, like, oh, Vegas might have a shot there. Um, they play Anaheim. They have L.A. Um, then they play Detroit. L.A., Louis. by the way, has been struggling of late, too. Yeah. Uh, they they play St. Louis. Uh, Detroit's a tough out, of course. Uh, St. Louis you have here. Dallas is um, it's a sneaky good team. 
I feel like no one's really talking about Dallas. Then you have Arizona and Boston. So it's like yeah, that three game that yeah. three game stretch just after Valentine's is going to be yeah. interesting. So it's like they could realistically have like a twenty game winning streak and play even like Boston. <laughs> you know, let me see if I can figure this out. 14, 15, 16, 17. So Vegas would be their seventeenth if they win that game. It would be their seventeenth game one in a row. Uh, 18, 19, LA would be their, uh, 19th, uh, 20, 21, uh, their Dallas would be their 23rd, Arizona would be their 24th and Boston would be 25. I think I did my math right. So, uh, by the time they reach Boston, they, that could be pretty historic. I don't, I think the Chicago had like a 23 game winning streak, right? I think that's the largest winning streak. Um, but, um, yeah, there's something there. I don't know if, I think that might be a record now that you mention it, yeah. Or at least it was very close. It's something like that, yeah. Because the Canadians had some, like, teams that just never lost, practically. Um, in any case, I, yeah, I I could, like, just looking at their schedule, it's like, yeah, it might extend over till the All-Star break, and, you know, once they face Vegas, then maybe... That will be their their true big test here, but it's like they beat tough teams. Like they beat Toronto, they beat Seattle. Um, I uh, they beat a few other tough teams as well uh, during this streak. So it's not like you know um, they were just playing cupcake games. Yeah, they beat like New Jersey to start. They beat the Rangers, although the Rangers have been struggling lately, but not at that time. Um, they beat all the California teams. Then they beat uh, Philadelphia, which. Um, has actually been surprisingly pretty good uh, of late. Um, and then, yeah, and then, you know, Ottawa, Chicago, Detroit, although I guess Detroit's uh, pretty good too. Montreal, they beat Toronto, Seattle, Calgary. So, and even Calgary had been starting to get back to um, like a playoff push, you know. So, um, so yeah, they've been beating pretty good teams as well during this streak as well. Um, I feel like we should just... Like, I, I don't think, like, it's, like, now back to the same old ex- expectations that we had at the beginning of the year for this team. It's like, yeah, this team should be pretty good when you have Connor McDavid. You don't want to waste this season um, as well. So, um, so even more so, they should make the playoffs. And, um, yeah, they should go far into the playoffs, like, at least the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, just taking a look at the winning streaks, um... Um, just just pointing this out, the Edmonton Oilers have a 13-game winning streak, which is currently active. The Devils went on a 13-game winning streak last year. The year before, Florida went on a tear. They won 13 in a row. Uh, it says the unbeaten streak without an actual loss because this in can- this um, th- this cat took into account uh, ties uh, was the 92-93 Penguins. Uh, with 17 games unbeaten. So uh, in terms of actual losing streaks, um, like during a season, I believe the leader is actually the Columbus Blue Jackets with 16. And we covered it in the early stages of the podcast. It happened in 2016-17. I think during that streak, they also encountered a Minnesota team that had a double-digit win streak going, and they beat them. Oh, yeah, that does ring a bell. Yeah, now. Okay. Yeah. 
I didn't yeah. know that was. I the... thought it would be lot. I thought it'd be larger than seventeen games. To be honest, I'm a bit surprised. That was in twenty sixteen. So, so, so seventeen. So that's you said Vegas would be their seventeenth. Uh, no, it would be their twentieth. Would... Okay. Okay. So fourteen, fifteen. Okay. Yeah. So Vegas February sixth would be oh, uh, the game where if they if they assuming they win out. Yeah. They would have to do it against Vegas on February 6th after the All-Star break. Wait, uh, now I have to double check. <laughs> this is a, this is a great podcast yeah, from everyone. Uh, Columbus <laughs> would be 14, Chicago would be 15, Nashville would be 16, Vegas would be 17th. Yeah, you were right. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think they would make the playoffs, so we'll see. Um all right. Yeah, I, I think so too. There's like they would have to fall off a cliff again, right, right, right. Um, in in order to miss the playoffs. Of, I mean, I'm just looking at the standings right now, and um, right now Minnesota's like um, and like a hot and cold team. Uh, they look like they figure it out, and then they. Drop like five in a row or some absurd crap. Right. Um, Nashville is looking okay right now, but long term, I still don't know what to think of them. The Coyotes uh, have kind of slipped and fell a bit. They're still in the hunt. The Blues, they're still there too. Uh, Chicago, forget about them. Yep. Uh, and even though the Kings have struggled, I still think they'll probably make the playoffs. What'll be interesting is if Edmonton kind of can kind of hold off the Kings because I feel. If they just trade for a big name goalie and they get their goaltending sorted, um, I think the Kings will be right on their tail. Uh, and you also have the Seattle Kraken, who after going on a bit of a tear themselves, they've dropped their last three. Um, and of course, I don't really see how Calgary does anything because they're probably going to be sellers at the deadline too. Right. So I think the I think the Oilers are looking pretty comfortable if they keep playing at this rate. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Although Calgary has been a sneaky good team lately, so I don't know. But, yeah, they'll, they'll probably be sellers. Yeah, they have, but they're not, I don't think, going to be willing to lose yeah. assets for nothing. And, I sure. like, that's what fair. are the odds that Hannafin and Lindholm won a sign long-term there? That's no, that's fair. They should be sellers, but, like, I like they're also pretty close to a playoff. So maybe the, mm-hmm. that's what they decided to do. But I do agree that they should be sellers. Um, in any case, let's get going on the rapid fire. Unless, do you have anything else to add that hasn't already been said? Uh, no, I think I, I pretty much uh, got all the points uh, I needed to get out. I'm also mm. interested to see, before we wrap, uh, how Chris Knobloch kind of fits into the Jack Adams conversation, because oh, I yeah. definitely think he's entered it. I'd yeah. say if the Oilers somehow win their division, you can make mm. a legitimate, legitimate case that he should win the award. To me, it's still Tockett, Bonus, and Tortorella um, as your top three. Um, yeah, You're I not guess. Wrong. Uh, I guess if because um, I feel like like it, it's tough because I, like yeah, he does deserve some recognition, but it's also at the same time it's because like we expected Edmonton to like this is what yeah. we expected out of Edmonton. Where we had no, like, we all thought Vancouver, Winnipeg, and Philadelphia would be fighting for Celebrini um, at this point. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I feel, and, like, they've been wire to wire good so far, assuming 
Vancouver can keep this up, assuming Winnipeg and Philadelphia can keep this up, of course. Um, so I, I think that's why you would still give them the Jack Adams because it's not like a Craig Berube situation where, yeah. you know, where like, I, I, I kind of just know. counter, uh, yeah. I, I, uh, I counter my original point that like, it's a combination of, you know, True. coach doing a good job, but also you have two generational yep. stars. Like, yeah. Like, like those other three teams don't have a McDavid or yep. a Dreisaitl, like and, even close to that level. And even that Blues team, it's like, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly was pretty good, of course, and like you had Petrangelo, but like and mm-hmm. Tarasenko, but you didn't have a Connor McDavid or anyone close to him. So, um, yeah. so, that, so I think I think that should take into a factor of the Jack Adams. Well. I, I definitely think you can make a solid solid case for top five though either way. Yeah yeah I um, think you'll get votes but I, I think it's like and especially like let's say cause I, I could see the Flyers drop off I could see the, the Jets fall off as well as the Canucks maybe so if like one of those teams fall off then yeah I think um, Nabuck gets some consideration but if we're assuming like if the season ended today I think those are your top three so uh, yeah no i agree all right um now speaking of coaching changes we start off our rapid fire uh the clock has just started <laughs> speaking here. of jack adams winners yeah that's that's true too uh lane lambert was fired as an islanders coach um and patrick waugh gets hired exactly um so uh you can um my favorite quote i feel like at this point i'm, I'm always going to mention is the the time when Patrick Waugh said that you, I, I can't hear Jeremy Roenick because uh, I have two Stanley Cup rings in my ears or something. Um, so, yeah. Um, we had kind of talked about this during the Memorial Cup about, and I hadn't realized this, and then I went back after this this news and I was like, oh, right, like, like this Patrick Waugh, yeah, he, he, he did have a good start um, in Colorado, but he started to uh, fluster out, but he goes to Quebec. He becomes the Quebec Ramparts coach there, and he only lost twice in the QMJHL playoffs, and he went sixteen and two. Um, so he like he swept three teams already in the QMJHL, um, and then he lost two of those games in the playoffs, but he ended up winning those. Um, and then he went, um, and then. It, in the Memorial Cup, he only loses like once during that period of time, and that was only in the round robin. So he went nineteen and three in both those playoffs, and that's insane <laughs> to me. So it's like, okay, yeah, he kind of deserves another shot back into the NHL, and maybe he learned some things along the way. Um, so, so he does deserve some credit here. It, of course, he's a huge personality. Which is makes this an interesting team for him because historically the Islanders are just known for being boring, especially with Lou Lamarillo. He hates drama. That's just his thing, where Lou Lamarillo just doesn't want any attention at all. And Patrick Waugh is perhaps your only like is the the coach that brings the most attention um, to your team. He also said uh, that Patrick Waugh was the only coach he thought yep. of uh, for 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 this change yeah which is kind of interesting um and but at the same time as what i'm saying it's like like i um i I don't know if i mentioned this to you steve but i did see this on twitter uh there was a point when the islanders lost 
were losing by a lot to the Predators. Um, and they showed on the board that, like, the like before the final whistle was scored, Bo Horvat and the guys who were taking the faceoffs were, like, there was, like, a minute left in the game. And, yeah, the, the Islanders were about to lose, but, like, there were, like, the bench left, including Lane Lambert. And I was just, like, except for Bo Horvat, he was on the bench, but there was other, like, you know, other than the guys on the ice, but the only one who was off the ice and on the bench was Bo Horvat just staring there. And I was just like, like, I feel like that's unacceptable. I know that they were about to lose, but that's like, that just, that's a terrible thing to like a message to send to your players. It's like, we're not going to give our 60 minutes if we're losing. <laughs> like, I know that they, they wouldn't have come back anyways, even if they did have bench players, but that was just a weird thing to, for me to even see like, from any team. Um, so it's just like, I would have fired Lambert right there just for that. Um, so so that was crazy. So it's not surprising that Lane Lambert got fired. Um, I do think that uh, Patrick Wall will provide a spark for this team, though. Um, they are out of a playoff spot, but I think this Islanders team could be a lot better uh, than they are. So um, so I, I'll be interested to see if Patrick Waugh can uh, do something. Um, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs, though, but I'll be, I'm curious to see what Patrick Waugh can do. The New York Founders have given up the same amount of goals as the Ottawa Senators <laughs> and the New Jersey Devils. Yeah. They have... And they have Sororkin in net. It's not like... <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, they, and his GAA, yeah. I think, starts with a three, which yeah, is less than ideal. Yeah. And the only two Eastern Conference teams, and the East is no slouch this year, that have given up more goals are the Montreal Canadiens and the Columbus Blue Jackets, yep. outside of uh, the pack that includes New Jersey, the Islanders, and the Sens. Did that just um, happen for Montreal because they did give up nine goals to the Bruins last night so uh, that is true but Montreal has given up 15 more goals to the Islanders so they would oh, still be oh it might still have, be it actually might the have, Islanders all right I'm looking here Montreal has 165 goals against and mm-hmm. the Islanders have 154 so 10 more uh 10 less uh than Montreal mm. anyway sorry go okay on. Uh, but uh, needless to say, 154 goals against is way too much. They have a negative 21 goal differential. They have 11 overtime shootout losses. I think they're 5-11 and 11 in extra time. Like, if you just get one goal in a lot of the games that they dropped, their record looks a lot different instead of 19, 15, and 11. They've played 45 games, uh, which um, is, is near the top of the list, uh, or at least middle of the pack uh, in the league um in terms of actual games played um so they're they're losing ground there in terms of the wild card the two wild card teams at the time of this recording are toronto and detroit uh the final spot belonging to detroit with 51 points so the islanders have 49 points so they're only two points back of a wild card spot mm-hmm. however they have washington leapfrog who is 50 um, they have also had goal scoring problems, but they also have Alex Ovechkin. So if he wakes up, who knows? New Jersey is 49 points. I would think at some point they'll figure it out and their road record's much better than the Islanders too. You also have the Penguins breathing down your neck at 48 points and 
all around, they've played better than the Islanders in terms of numerical stats. So I think the Islanders have every right to make a change, but when you consider the state of the Colorado Avalanche when Patrick Wall left there, it was not pretty. And when the broader analytics started to enter the game, that was when Patrick Waugh was having that unreal first season with Colorado. And a lot of people are just looking at those analytics and they were going, I'm not sure this is sustainable for the long term. And it turns out it wasn't. So I'm just curious outside of maybe lighting a fire under the goal scorer's ass and maybe getting the goalies to play better. Uh, it, it's not going to be an easy task to get this team to play winning hockey. Yeah. And uh, this is bigger than trading for it and immediately extending Bo Horvat, in my opinion. Mm. Uh, out of all the teams to sign Patrick Wad, never in a million years would I guess the Islanders yeah. and the GM would be Lula Amarillo making that move. Yeah, I, I feel like this is like the last move for Lamarillo because otherwise yeah. he's about to lose. It's what, job, have, you know? what have I got to lose, right? Exactly. But yeah, no, I agree. And I feel like that that's, it's like, it's weird too because I feel like the Islanders all of a sudden became very interesting just with one move like this. Oh, dude, yeah. can you imagine? Just look, hear me out. Islanders, Flyers, things are getting out of hand. Yeah. Raw and Torch screaming at each other for the benches. Trust oh, yeah, me, it's yeah. going to happen. Oh, that, That's going to be must-see TV, boy. The fact that Torts and Raw, Raw are on the same division, that's... Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Um, that that's crazy. Um, also, the uh, Islanders do play tonight against the Dallas Stars, so... We'll see. I guess we'll see. As yeah, Dallas also took uh, New Jersey's yeah. lunch money sure. the night before. So, yep. um, yeah, the, that might not be a, yep. a great look. Unfortunately, I do have some bad news for uh, for fans who want to see that. I don't see any Flyers-Islanders matchups for the rest of the year. What a oh, shame. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, we, yeah. Might, we might not even get that unless they magically square off in the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be crazy. Um, I guess, yeah, oh, that's unfortunate. But, I mean, I was actually kind of thinking about this, too. It's actually, like, no, I lied. I lied. April 1st, April Fool's. Oh, wow. April Fool's, that's the only time they, they meet between now and the end of the year. I, I, I swear to that's you, very, that wasn't planned. That's very that fitting. That wasn't planned. I'm sure. That's very fitting, though. Um, so, we might, we might get it after all. Yeah, we might get it after all. Um, but, no, I was. this kind of reminds me of how, like, you know, because last year when you look at, like, Talkit and um, Bonus, like, they were hired not, like, in the middle, like, even in the off season they were hired in the middle of the season. So it's, like, it's very possible that, yeah, the Islanders probably aren't making the playoffs at this point. But, like, maybe next season um, Patrick Wall can kind of put his foot or his influence into the Islanders organization and then... Maybe next year they're they're back in it, but we'll see. Um, so that's very possible. Um, all right, uh, we do have to move on. Um, the uh, we talked about that for ten minutes, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> Elvis Merzilkins, uh, Merzilkins. I feel like I always mispronounce his Merzilkins. Sorry if you're listening, Elvis. I apologize. But, um, yeah, he requested a trade. It was kind of funny, too, because, like, so he beats, um, uh, he wins in overtime. I, I, 
blanking on the team. Vancouver is yeah. who he played. He stopped 27 yeah. of 30. So a very good team. Uh, he has this, like, crazy celebration, and then he has this, like, post-game interview, and he says, like, I'm bringing out the monster in me. Um, I want out of here, basically. And I guess what happened was that he, uh, like, a week before, Columbus kind of alluded to the fact that they were trying to see what they have in Tarasov, um, and they, but they denied the fact that they were looking to sell Elvis, and then... Slowly but surely, Elvis then started to have a talk with the management, and he, and they kind of both mutually agreed that they um, that they should get a like that Elvis wants to go elsewhere. So it will be interesting to see where he goes. I do kind of feel bad for him because of the fact that uh, he he just has this like P- he has admitted that he had PTSD over his um, matches. Uh, why am I blanking on the... Mattis Kivlenik's. Kivlenik's uh, death. Um, and it had to do with, like, fireworks and stuff. And famously, whenever Columbus scores a goal, they would blast these bullets. And um, and he, he has admitted that he has, like, flashbacks to it. So it's like, he should have been traded a while ago because it's like... Or they just stopped doing the Or the ditch cannon. the cannon, yeah. you idiots. <laughs> or that, that's the other thing too. So that should have been our first sign that the, something isn't right. Uh, just for that whole thing. It's like, oh, they don't even care about Elvis or this uh, Mattis uh, Kiblenix's memory or anything like that. That uh, that that whole yeah. management team deserves yep. to be fired in the sun yep. after all of these seasons of off-ice yep. controversies yeah, and just stuff, mismanagement yeah. of talent. Yeah. Kekalainen, Davidson, get them both out of there and start fresh. Yeah. Uh, part of the reason why Elvis Merce Lincolns hasn't been moved yet, probably this, $5.4 million cap yep. hit for the rest of this year plus the next three. Yeah, yeah, that's probably tough. But I feel like eventually, like, this has been, I, I feel like this is, one of those years where, like, no goalie has really stood out except for Connor Hellebuck. Um, and, like, there's no real good goalies now. Um, I guess, like, obviously there are... Everyone is mid. Yeah. Well, I I, I take that back. Like, yeah, Jeremy Swayman has been good. Um, Charlie... Demko's also been good. Yeah, Joey Decord. Um, yeah. Uh, Eden Hill has been good, I'm looking here. But, like, he's been injured. Um, so Bobrovsky shockingly has Bobrovsky been, has been right. good. Demko we talked about last week. So like, there's been a couple goalie, but other than that, it's like there isn't a ton that stand out. I guess we we were mentioning Stuart Skinner too, so he's he's picked it up too. But I feel like this is a bad year for goalies, and I think eventually there's gonna be like a, a like a goalie run basically where a ton of goalies are about to be traded. Uh, for everyone. Speaking um, of uh, goalies that were taking yeah. playing time away from Elvis, uh, Spencer yeah. Martin early in the year was one of them. Yep. He was recently put on waivers and claimed by the Hurricanes because yep. uh, Kochikov got injured. Yep. Uh, so now Columbus doesn't even have Spencer Martin to fall back on if or when they trade Elvis. So yeah, yeah. That. Well, Carolina is an interesting team. I think um, New Jersey would be a, another one that I feel like will yep. will get a goalie at some point uh, this year too. Um, I feel like New Jersey would be a better suitor for John Gibson personally, yeah, but I think a I good plan that. B would be Elvis. I mean, he has a 905 on the yeah, freaking yeah. Blue Jackets. That's yep. something. Speaking of goaltenders, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury surpasses Patrick Waugh, another reference here, um, in all-time career Rock wins. Uh, second all-time now uh, behind Martin Brodeur, 
However, I doubt he's going to catch him because Berdor has 692 career wins and Flurry has 552. <laughs> so even if Flurry plays and wins out, like literally wins every game that he's ever in, um, he has to play next year and the season after that um, to, to in order to catch Martin Berdor. So I feel like you'd also, you know, have to be a goalie that a yeah. team would be like willing to play 70 plus yeah. games. That doesn't happen with even the best goalies. And True. for Brodeur, it seemed to be a regular for like, yeah. I don't know how many consecutive years. So like, yep. that's going to be, in my opinion, an impossible record. Yeah. I guess it's also just now in this day and age where we were just talking about goalies, but like, this day and age where there is more tandems um that's uh that's just a thing that's like you know that's become more commonplace where in Brodeur's days or Patrick Waugh's days that what that wasn't a thing really um so I I feel like yeah you're right those those things are not there but it's a credit to uh Marc-Andre Fleury to even surpass Patrick Waugh Mm -hmm. um in career wins so uh credit to him for that uh, the timer I know the buzzer out. sounded. I wanted to bring this up because it's very, very big and a tough blow for the Minnesota Wild. Jared Spurgeon, oh, yeah. uh, they're solid as a rock defenseman, ruled out for the rest of the season, having hip and back surgery. Yep. So, uh, yeah, tough loss for Minnesota, yeah. who's trying to make a playoff yep. uh, push late in the season. Um, we also had alluded to this, too, but I, I think you may have mentioned it last week, too, but... Jack Eichel is on IR as well, so um, yeah, that's a rough blow. But um, but Brendan yeah. Brisson, he came back, so that that was the only one that I did want to mention that we did to get to. But. He'll definitely get some ice time, uh, depending yep. on how long uh, Jack Eichel's out. But uh, yep. Vegas has their cup, so that yep, softens the blow, I guess. Also, the year after that, Mark Mark Stone had like a hat his first career hat trick on like the first day that um, or the first game that Eichel was out. So it's like, and, uh, it was crazy that that was his first career hat trick. I, I thought he had yeah, one I know. before, but <laughs> I know he's he not. He played really, how many years in Ottawa? Yeah. Didn't he? He had a couple of multi-goal games, but yeah, yeah no hat tricks. That's crazy. crazy. I know he's not really a goal scorer, but like just the fact that like it was his first career and he's been in the league for a while and he does put up points. It's just, it was like, oh, yeah, I guess. I guess that's All he does is score big goals. We know this. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we, we did have a lot to cover on our rapid fire. Well, probably, um, I mean, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, those were two big stories as well. Yeah. So we'll we'll cover these things again uh, next week if they're still relevant. There, there are some that we can show yeah, next week sure. easily, yeah. If they're still relevant. Um, yeah. But, yes, uh, we um, that's about it for us. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. Um, you can also subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts at Spotify, iTunes, um, Pocket Cast, wherever else you get your podcasts. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Ellsworth. We'll chat again in episode 397 of the Lace Up Podcast.